All right, y'all, we're in, we're in Matthew 3. And if you are a guest here, you don't always hear my voice as much as you do today. Um, but we've, we've got several out who are going to be doing different parts. And so you're, you're hearing a lot of my voice. Sorry, but you're stuck. It just is what it is. Um, but we are in Matthew chapter 3. And this is... The, um, actually, Christy, whenever we order things, I need a new stool. Like, we've lost my stool. I don't know where it is. Oh, I know. Okay. So the reason I reference that is this is one of those passages that as I read it, then I'm going along and I'm like, I, like there's just this sense of whenever somebody's standing up in front of you, it's like, oh, he's got this all figured out. Like this, he's, you know, he's the preacher. He's the pastor. He knows what to do with all this. His heart is positioned perfectly with this. And I'm sitting here telling you, like, I wish I had a stool to sit on today because this is one of those as I read this, my heart just gets lower and lower and lower because I'm amazed again and again at who Jesus actually, truly, biblically is. Like, I just, I read this, and so, um, so that's, that's um, we, we need a stool. That's what it all comes back to, is I, I don't know where it is. Um, okay, but before we jump into it, just kind of a, a guide here. This is a very rich passage. It's Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And um, I think I originally had it planned out for like three or four weeks. And then Chas was like, no, you get two. You have two weeks for this one passage. I mean, how big is the Bible and how far are you actually going to get? And so, um, but it's because I was trying to just like think through this. But, but, but here's the thrust of it. If you look at this passage, there's the obedience and the righteousness of Christ on full display. Like that's the heart of that passage that, that we're going to touch on today. But then also in this passage, it's a great opportunity to talk about the doctrine of baptism. Like, what is it? Who does it? And why? And how? Like, we're gonna, So I want to talk about that. And then the last couple of verses, it's the full display of the Trinity right there. And it's the one place where it's like a snapshot of all of them all together in full accord. And man, it's, it's worthwhile as a church to gather together and to talk about doctrine. Like move through Scripture, but also establish some doctrine. That's, that's one of the things that we get to do. And so with that, this week is moving through the passage and the obedience of Christ. Next week, we're going to look at the doctrine of baptism and the doctrine of the Trinity. Both of them are huge. Both of them will be kind of encapsulated into their own time frame so that we can make it through both. But I'm just going to tell you, if you come next week to, and expecting to understand fully the Trinity, then you will be sorely disappointed. Our response to the great mystery and wonder of the Trinity is simply this. This is a God who is completely unlike us, and that is wonderful and good. Like, it is a mystery we will not wrap our heads around. Like, that's the conclusion of the Trinity next week. So if that's what you're coming for, you already got it. But we won't wrap our heads around this mystery of who God truly is. He is not like us. So this week through the passage, next week, doctrine of baptism, doctrine of the Trinity. And then the following week, we will move um, on through Matthew with Jesus and his temptations um, or the, the temptation in the desert and how he was without sin. OK, there we go. So here we go. Matthew chapter three, verse 13 through 17. The title of this one, so simply put, the baptism of Jesus, because you know what it's about? It's about the baptism of Jesus. It's not about it's anything else. It's about the baptism of Jesus. So what does Scripture say? That's what it's about. And here's what it says. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, Then, like John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray one more time. Lord, your word opened before us that you moved men by your Spirit to write so long ago, that you by your Spirit preserved for us, and that you by your Spirit will reveal to us what it is that we should know so that we can be equipped for every good work to walk in you. But Lord, hold our attention and help us to marvel, and you move our hearts as only you can do. For this is not a scholarly exercise. This is, Lord, us looking at your Son with whom you are well pleased. May we delight in that. Amen. So as we do, verse 13, we're just going to move through. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And I know this may seem incredibly basic, but it's worth noting that Jesus came to this wild man, John the Baptist, that we preached on last week. He came to this wild man with intent. Scripture is very clear. He came for a purpose. And what is that purpose? To be baptized. We're going to talk about that. We have to talk about that. Jesus came to be baptized by John. And I know that we've been trying to caution ourselves the last few weeks that we can become so familiar to these passages that, that they just kind of get old to us. We're like, oh, this is, oh, that's where Jesus was baptized. Yeah, I know Jesus was baptized. No, y'all, Jesus was baptized. Like, let's not grow old to these most amazing things that our Lord did. And I hope that as we move through this passage, that God grants us that great grace where our hearts are enlarged with an awareness of all that Christ did in this moment. But I'm afraid that we do lose the awe sometimes of what we actually see here. So may we never cease to marvel at the humility and the obedience of Jesus Christ. That is why I love that song right now, Jesus Strong and Kind. Oh, he is strong. He is bold. He is holy. He is mighty and majestic. And he is most absolutely so humble and kind. It's, a, it's this dichotomy that exists in our Savior that makes him so rich to us. Now, this Jesus, the one who says that he came to be baptized by John, this is he of whom the prophet spoke. This is he who God had promised. This is he who hovered over the face of the waters in the Trinity before the earth had its form. Like this is him and he comes now to be baptized. That's ridiculous. Like really, like humanly speaking, that's ridiculous. And that's what John's kind of saying. All right, so we're going to get to that. But I want you to see this. This is in Matthew we're going to read the selections in Mark, Luke, and John of, John, or of Jesus' baptism. So go to Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Because here's what's neat. Is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called, we call them the synoptic gospels. That's a, a fancy way of saying that they sync up. All right, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they sync up. They're synoptic. Um, and so they have things that are the same. They do have some things that are different in them, like he said, it, he said this over here, but he didn't say it in Matthew and Luke or, or something like that. So they all come together, these three, and we have a fuller picture. And then John's kind of his own thing way out there. He's got like unique miracles, unique sayings, like, 
I like John a whole lot. But whenever the same thing happens in all the Gospels, I feel like that's a good time for us to sit there and go, okay, wait. For all that he recorded and all that he recorded and all that he recorded and all that he recorded, all of them recorded this significant thing. I need to pay attention. So here's what Mark 1, 9 through 11 says. Now I'm going to tell you, you're going to notice different wordings, different phrases, but one core common truth. Mark 1, 9 through 11 says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Go over to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized and I'm sorry. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Go to John. John chapter 1, verse 26. A little bit fuller context, but, but John 1, 26 through 34 says, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes one who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now all the way back to Matthew. Why did we read all four accounts? Because you're probably sitting there going, Now wait a second. Like he said it this way this, in this spot and this way in this spot and this way in this spot. Yep, get to studying. Okay, that's not what this sermon's about. But I want you to keep in mind that in the Gospels, I think it's as simple as this. If I put this stand before you and I ask Maddie to describe what she sees, she's going to describe the stand from her perspective. And Drew's going to describe it from her perspective. And I'm going to describe it from my perspective. And I see things on my side that you cannot see. And Bo's going to see things from his side that Drew cannot see. And so all four are having unique perspectives of the same moment. And which one of us is right? Well, each one from their own perspective. But really, truly, when all four perspectives are brought together, you have a fuller picture of what's going on. That's why you need Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. There are four perspectives so that we can get a fuller grasp of the ministry and the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that, is that good enough? Okay, so all the differences, like in the language, 
comes down a whole lot to the perspective from which they were viewing, but they never contradict like the core truths of what's going on. So here's, and all the differences, here's what we have. The core truth is this. Jesus comes to John to be baptized, and the Trinity is fully, visibly present for the occasion, and Jesus submits fully to God's will, and God glorifies His Son. That's what happens in every single account. Jesus comes to be baptized. John baptizes him. The Trinity is fully presented and God is glorified by his son and glories in his son. So what you see, it's all throughout scripture. No matter which angle we take, we have the same context. And now look at verse 14. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So if you, if you catch it, then we just read all four accounts, and this is not said in any of the other accounts. And, but we're in Matthew, so that's why we're going to press into this one a little bit. But Jesus comes, and John looks at Jesus, and he says, You come to me to be baptized. I should be baptized by you. It's very similar to whenever Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples, and, and Peter says, Oh, you, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, oh, I, I must, or you have no part of me. It's very similar. It's a very similar scene to where Jesus goes to John, and John knows who he is, and he says, I, I can't baptize you. Like You have to baptize me. And we're going to look at Jesus' response in a moment, but this is really, it's really amazing what happens here. But I know it's going to complicate the issue a little bit, but in John... Our account of John that we read, it says that John didn't know who Jesus was, but also at the same time, John did know who Jesus was. Like there's, there's something you've got to think about there because in Luke chapter 1, verse 35 through 44, I want you to see who this John the Baptist is. So go to Luke chapter 1, 35 through 44. Um, if you're a guest, by the way, we, we flip in Scripture a whole lot. And so Bible Olympics, back and forth. You can race each other if you want to. It's fun. Sometimes there's that moment where the sovereignty of God's like, look, and you turn right to it and like you feel like the chosen one. Luke chapter 1, verse 35 through 44. What I, what I believe and what you're going to hear is John did know Jesus as much as he could know Jesus. And John also knew Jesus in a in a different context that we're going to see alluded to here. But John didn't fully grasp everything that was going on until the moment um, that everything comes together and it's revealed to him. So, but here's why I say John knew Jesus um, in, in a certain context. Luke 1, 35 through 44. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So this is... Um, this is to Mary. And the angel speaking says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is a sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Man, what a great prayer if we woke up to that and said that every morning. And the angel departed from her. Now, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. Or I'm sorry, to Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. I love this. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, 
The baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That's awesome. Okay, so just to like lay it all out very clearly, Mary's told that she is going to have a baby. And she says, that's impossible. It makes no sense. And the angel says, oh, with God, all things are possible. In fact, your cousin, your relative, Elizabeth, she actually is with child now in her old age. I love how it points that out, by the way, in her old age. So, and the one with whom she is pregnant, that is John the Baptist. And when Mary walks in and says hello to Elizabeth, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth knows who she is immediately because the Holy Spirit reveals it to her. And she says, you are the mother of my and the Lord is capitalized. So Elizabeth gets it. But I love this. Then she says that whenever the, the child in my womb, which is John the Baptist before he's ever born, whenever he heard your voice, he leapt for joy. There is something in John the Baptist that knows who his Savior is from the very beginning. And yet, in the mystery of life, he can't quite grasp it either. I think it's like the road to, to Emmaus, whenever the, the two disciples are walking and Jesus comes up to them and they don't exactly recognize him until he reveals it to them. I, there's a great mystery there that I think Matthew and, God's, and John's account actually kind of complement. That's why he says, I don't know him but then like here, he obviously knows me because whenever Jesus walks up, he goes, I, I can't baptize you. Like, I'm not the one who gets to baptize you. So John the Baptist and Jesus are related, just so you know. Mary and Elizabeth, they're related. And there's a great mystery. But I love that, that whenever Mary speaks to Elizabeth, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb is jumping for joy. I have no idea what that feels like, but it's got to be really cool. I do know that whenever we were awaiting our children to be born, like there's just that really cool moment whenever Chas would be like, oh, right here, right here, like push right here. And like one of them had like stuck their knee or an elbow out. And it was kind of a fun game to kind of push back in on it because then they would push back. And then there were other moments that were not fun because she's like, <sighs> and she would just kind of push back in on the elbow. Um, but mothers probably understand that verse in such a richer way that we will never be able to. Y'all, here's, here's what I want to skip. That Luke reveals that even in the womb, John the Baptist knew the presence of Christ before he was ever born. This is what John the Baptist was born for. John the Baptist was born to be the voice in the wilderness. He was born to prepare the world for Christ and to present Christ to the world, which is what he's about to do. This is what he's for. And he knows it in the womb. Okay. This is the mystery of it all then. This is why John says, I can't baptize you because John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. I'm all the way back in Matthew now in Matthew chapter three, verse two, which was last week. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Well, what do we repent from? We repent from sin. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus had no sin. By the way, at this point in the text, Jesus would be about 30 years old. 30 years old and without sin. This is why the father would be so well pleased in his son. But he is without sin. 
but repent as in turn away from your sins. And Jesus had no sin. And I think that you need these four verses that we're most absolutely going to turn to. Because if you don't have a mark, you definitely need to have a mark because it makes us even greater. And it's this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Like if you're sitting there, you're like, I've never marked my Bible. Where do I start? These are great verses to start from. Because they remind us that Jesus was without sin. And for some of you, you're sitting there like, okay, he's without sin. But then why did he have to be baptized? That's the next verse. We're just not there yet. But we've got to dwell in this because this is amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake. Cross life for, for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. He knew no sin, and yet He became our sin. You worship over that. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You flip a few pages to the right to Hebrews 7.26. And it says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Look at this. And it's talking about Jesus, by the way, like the context of both. The, For it is indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That's our Jesus. And last one. 1 John 3, 5. First John 3, 5. And as a reminder, John the Baptist is not this John. He's not. There's John the Baptist and there's John the Apostle. And he wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in Revelation. So it's that John who writes this. And it says, You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Very clearly, Jesus had no sin. And those are four great verses that you can go to. 2 Corinthians 5.21 amazes me over and over again. It's that first one. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so through and through, Jesus is without sin. And John's baptism is a call to come, confess, repent of sin, and be baptized, be purified from it. And here comes Jesus, the sinless one, to be baptized by John. And that's why John looks at him and he says, I cannot baptize you. You should be baptizing me in this moment. I love how the Expositor's Bible Commentary states it. Listen to this. It says, earlier, John had difficulty baptizing the Pharisees and Sadducees because they were not worthy of his baptism. And now he has trouble baptizing Jesus because he is not worthy of Jesus.
thought that was an incredible insight. Because John knows himself. He knows his own sin. He knows his own unworthiness. Who is he to baptize Jesus? To which Jesus says in verse 15, But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So John's question was valid, and Jesus' response was enough to persuade him. Okay, so, so what does it mean that it is, it is thus fitting to fulfill all righteousness? Scholars, I mean, they're, they're everywhere all over this one. Right? So, like, simply put, here it is. Does it mean that this washing is the fuller picture of the ritual washings of the Old Testament? Does it mean that this is what the Father has commanded? Does it mean that this is necessary so that the Son of God and man can identify with those He came to save? Yes and yes and yes. That's what it all means. So many words for such a simple truth. It basically comes down to this, that this is what God desires. It's what He desires of Jesus. It's also, get this, it's what He desires of John the Baptist in this moment. And to do what God commands is to fulfill, to fulfill all the righteousness that God requires. This is true in Jesus' life, in John's life, and in your life and in my life. To pursue the will of God is to pursue the righteousness. It is to fulfill the righteousness that God has put before us. Like, that's what this all comes down to. Jesus says, this is what we have to do. Like, this is what God has desired for us to do in this moment. We've got to. You know what you've got to do? What God has desired for you to do in this exact moment. This is how we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. He is a holy God. He has absolutely saved us. And then he says, walk in obedience. Jesus is walking in obedience. He says, we have to do this. It's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That's what it means. And then can I show you something that I missed for decades and decades and decades? It's a two-letter word. Thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I always read it, this is what Jesus had to do to fulfill all righteousness for Jesus. He says, this is what we do, must do for us to fulfill. Who's he talking to? He's talking to John. In other words, it's not fitting enough for Christ to do this. That's how I always read it. It's fitting for the us. John the Baptist and Jesus complete this participatory act of baptism. John had to do this. And whenever Jesus said that, John knew. Just like whenever Peter stopped Jesus and said, you can't wash my feet, You're not, you can't do that. And Jesus says, I must. And Peter realizes he must. John says, I can't do this. And then he realizes I must. Because this is part of what God has designed for them. So it, here it is. Listen, it is fitting. I'm just going to go back to that. It is fitting. It must happen that the sinless one identifies with sinners through baptism so that he may be known as, a one, as one of them and so that he may die on their behalf and on our behalf. It is fitting. It's going on. It is fitting. It must happen that John the Baptist, who has been preparing the world for Christ, is now the one who gets to present Christ to the world. Y'all listen to this. By man's hands, Jesus was baptized. By man's hands, Jesus was crucified. And by God's plan, Jesus came to stand in the place of sinners and bear the wrath of God on our behalf. In this moment, Scripture is the best commentary for us. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. I think this is a glimpse of what we get here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped for himself. 
but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you know why Jesus was baptized by John? Because he took on the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. This is the God who deserves all majesty and glory and grace, and to whom all heaven cries out, and he says, I will go now to be baptized by John the Baptist. John says, I can't baptize you. Who am I to baptize you? And Jesus says, this is what we must do, because we will be obedient. Can you grasp the humility and the obedience of Christ in that moment? How that must have looked. No, we do not have an arrogant high priest who asserts his own way by his own majesty, but one who in every regard humbled himself and said, Father, thy will be done. We go on. He had no need of baptism is what you need to hear from all of that. He had no need of baptism. That's what John was saying. But we needed his baptism. We needed that identification of the Savior on our behalf to be with us. And in this moment, there's a great, a great meeting of humility. John the Baptist being humble, seeing himself. Christ being humbled, seeing himself all in the sovereignty of God. There's a meeting of humility and God's sovereignty at this baptism. And it's just sweet that our strong Savior would be so kind to come. And in verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, it said, when he was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I have always loved this scene. It's amazing. Like, you read it, and Jesus comes up out of the water, and it says that the heavens were opened to him. And if you look at the language of the heavens being opened, it actually mirrors a lot of the prophetic language. Like whenever Stephen um, is being martyred, and he looks up, and it says that the heavens were opened, it's the same language. And whenever you look at some of the Old Testament prophets, and they look up, and the heavens are open, and it's this idea that God is peeling back and moving things aside so that his heaven can be seen. Like, it's that same language here. Jesus comes up out of the water and God peels the sky back and he sends his dove. He sends the Holy Spirit down and then God speaks. All of this fully affirming everything of this sweet moment whenever the Holy Savior came to be baptized. And we're so used to it. Jesus is baptized and God peels back the heavens to proclaim that this is his son and give full approval. And in this, the full, don't miss this, the full Trinity is on display in this moment. Jesus the Son is coming up out of the water. The Holy Spirit is coming down from heaven. And God the Father is speaking in that moment, fully approving of all things that are happening right now. So we'll talk about this idea of modality. And can, is God this one or this one or this one at different times? Nope. Right here, the fullness of the mystery of the Trinity on full display. I'm reminded of Isaiah 42. You know, you got to flip there. You got to go to Isaiah 42. I was going to say, listen to this, but you got to see it. Because this is, this is our Jesus. 
And the reason I think of Isaiah 42 is because it's right to think of Isaiah 42. Whenever Jesus comes up and the Spirit comes down and it alights upon Him, I'll show you this. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, this is one of those prophetic chapters of the Lord's chosen servant, which is who they were always waiting on. Always waiting on the suffering servant, the chosen servant, the Messiah, the Davidic king. All of them one and the same. And here's what God says through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. You hear that language right there? I have put my spirit upon him, that dove coming down and alighting upon him. Like we're seeing the fulfillment of Scripture. So behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And he, we know this is Jesus, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Y'all, here is Jesus. Like all of that is Jesus. You can just sit there and line it out with the life of Christ. He is the covenant that God has made with his people. It's all bound up in his blood and by his death and burial and resurrection. We are covenanted with God because he's covenanted with us because he is good and he is kind and he is holy. And he sent his son to die for us. What happens in this moment of Jesus' baptism is to an onlooking world, God revealed the mystery that had been hidden for ages. He says, here's my son, and I put my spirit upon him. And then here's something I think is really crazy, and I promise you we're moving to the conclusion. Remember last week we talked about Malachi. And, and there's one page that separates Malachi from the New Testament, but that one page is about 400 years of silence where they have not heard from God. So this is really cool. In this moment, God breaks his 400-year silence. Did you catch that? In this moment, God breaks a 400 year silence. He spoke through Malachi until, and then he was silent until the moment of Jesus' baptism. There has been 400 years of silence. He did not speak to his people and he speaks now. And what is it that would move this God who was quiet for 400 years? What would move him to speak to this world? His son. You can't miss that, y'all. Our Jesus that we are so comfortable with is way too small and comfortable for us. The eternal God breaks a 400-year silence because of His Son. And the first words He speaks are, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Three times God speaks aloud in this world in the New Testament. Watch this. He does it at Jesus' baptism as He does right now. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. He does it in Matthew 17, 5, and I'll wait for you to get there. At Jesus' baptism, at Jesus' transfiguration, God speaks. This is in Matthew 17. 
In Matthew 17, 5, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And then the third time that God speaks audibly in this world that we have recorded in the New Testament is as Jesus approaches the cross. And that happens in John chapter 12, verse 27 through 30. And after this, we're going to tie it all together and, and move out of this passage for today. Then we're going to be back next week. John 12, verse 27 through 30. Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it, said that it had thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake and not mine. So Jesus, or I'm sorry, God audibly speaks, breaks silence in this world. And the Father speaks three times at Jesus' baptism, which we just saw, at his transfiguration, which we will see later in our study, and as Jesus approaches the cross. Significant moments whenever God speaks into a listening world. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And I have glorified and I will glorify it again. What is it that would move an eternal God to break his silence with a sinful world? Jesus Christ, his son with whom he is well pleased. I love how Matthew Henry states this scene, how solemnly heaven was pleased to grace the baptism of Christ with a display of special glory or a special display of glory. This doesn't happen any other time. So then we said, then we're like, okay, well, what do I do with all of that? Jesus went with the tent to be baptized by John the Baptist, who said, I can't baptize you. Who am I to baptize you? You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, oh, we must do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John says, okie doke. So he baptizes him. And whenever he does, Jesus comes up out of the water. The spirit comes down. God the Father speaks and says, this is my well son with whom I am well pleased. What do we do with all of that? And I think it's this. Recall the amazing fact that Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all honor and praise, he humbly submitted to all that God placed before him. He is worthy of highest honors and yet humbles himself that he might save us and glorify God. That is worthy of our praise and adoration. And that's how we respond. So we're going to sing that song, Jesus Strong and Kind, one more time. Because it really is a great song. If I am lost, what should I do? I should run to him. If I am weak, where should I go? To him. And then you read that last part, or you get to that last part of it. But yeah, we run to him. But don't forget this. He came for us. That's what we see here. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know what you do. And I'm great with that. But Lord, I do know this. Your word has been opened and it does the work it's meant to do. I know that the word has gone out and that your spirit within us can understand things at a deeper level than we even do. Or what I pray is that would you enlarge our affection and grow us in our love of Christ. 
Lord, may we be broken over and over again that you are the God who has come for us. That you, Jesus, humbled yourself, not only to baptism, but to death on a cross. Lord, I don't understand that. My heart is made lower whenever I read it, but then my pride puffs me back up. And Lord, I just want to know you more. Lord, I want to stand in awe and adoration and worship and praise of all that you are. But my stubborn heart gets in the way. So Lord, I'm asking for me personally to break my heart again and again so that I can see such a humble and powerful and mighty Savior who came for us. Amen.